This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Greg Bench, Trey Whetstone, Amy Swan, Gilman, Joel Robertson, and ooh, Blake from Midweek Matinee. Thank you all. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I'm your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I'm joined as always by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, and hey, where's my voice modulator? You're telling me I could have sounded like Greg Amortis the whole time and I'm stuck with this? <laughs> we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we watch, and we are continuing Halloween season with franchise review of Scream with Scream 3 from 2000. And what do you know about trilogies? On February 4th. All I know about movie trilogies is that in the third one, all bets are off. Scream 3. Don't panic. <laughs> in order to do this, we called in a podcast legend, Sean Davis, a.k.a. Mr. Haddonfield Hatchet himself. How are you, buddy? Doing great. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Always glad to have you on. And so, Screen 3, the IMDb synopsis reads, While Sydney and her friends visit the Hollywood set of Stab 3, the third film based on the Woodsboro murders, another ghost face killer rises to terrorize them. Now, Jackson, that's not actually the IMDb synopsis for these haven't been too bad, have they? Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like we've got some Scream fans on IMDb for once. They've watched the series. They're fans. Uh, that doesn't usually happen. I know there have been a couple real stinkers, which is why we react so positively when there's an accurate one. Because we've covered one, especially from the 80s. There'll be like a psychopathic killer. And you're like, yeah, you can get that from the poster. So, yeah, it's <laughs> well, let, we won't even talk about the IMDb synopsis of Fulci movies. But anyway, oh man, well that's uh, impossible. Anyway, to summarize this movie, that's true. So, Haddonfield, when did you first see Scream Three? If I'm not mistaken, I believe I watched it in the theaters. Uh, I think I watched all three of them, well, all four of them in the theater. Um, yeah, I don't I, really. I don't see when did it actually what day was it what month was it released February 2000 okay yeah so I, I've for sure watched that in the theater uh I just fell in love after the first one and then the second one and it's like when you go watch the first two in the theater you got to watch the rest of them so absolutely absolutely so Jackson what about you uh, today. Today was my first time ever seeing Scream 3. Again, oh, wow. I I kind of knew about it. I kind of knew what happened in it loosely because I was so it was so present in my life. But I, this was my first time sitting down and watching it all the way through. I went in thinking, everybody says this is the worst Scream movie, that this is not that great of a movie. I watched it and I was like, what's everybody complaining about? This was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it does have the oh. lowest... Rotten Tomato score, I think, but yeah, we, I, yeah, we'll talk about that. I saw it opening weekend in 2000. I was in seminary living in Texas. I had to work all day Friday at the seminary. I remember being really ticked off. I couldn't go to the first matinee. So it was like seven o'clock on a Friday night that I saw it, saw it with some buddies. So let's talk about the plot and the screenplay. We have Sydney back, but living in fear and basically hiding. And we have another stab movie being made. 
And we'll talk about the reveal later, but we have another ghost face pop up in Hollywood. So, Haddonfield, did you buy this plot? Did you like it? I, I enjoyed it. Uh, like, I've got it rated on IMDb as an 8. And wow. it's like, they've got it as a 5.6. Like, I enjoy it. Um, you know, it's a lot of people, it's like Jackson said, a lot of people just crap on this one. Uh, and it, I mean, it is kind of like, it's a little cheesy at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gail Weathers hair. Yeah. Same part. <laughs> oh, that's, God. that's the I... first thing my wife said today when she had never seen it. And I was watching the commentary with Wes Craven and she walks in and looks and goes, looks at Courtney Cox and goes, I hate her hair. <laughs> the same person that designed, that did her hair, uh, is the same exact person that did Josh Hartnett's hair in H2O. Oh, wow. It has to be, because, like, they're both, like, out there. Oh, but, man. Awful. If, that, awful. If, that, if, if that's the same person, that person needs to find another line of work. Oh, there's exactly. no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I'm sure it's not the same person, but you never know. Oh, but, man. Oh, this is one, like, like, when me and Meg first got together, and... uh and then we would watch movies for some reason, every time that she would come over or we'd turn the TV on, even after we got married screen, either scream or scream three would be playing. Wow. Uh, and like, I don't know, like it, I've got like the box set of the DVDs. I've not upgraded the Blu-rays for these, but mm. it, every time it never failed. It was always scream or scream three that would come on the television. Cause when we first started dating and everything, it was, right after like around it was after Halloween and it was in November, but mm. like they would still show them and it, and there for the longest time I would joke with her and be like, you know, scream and scream three. That's our movie. And she's like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But like, we've watched them so much. She's like, I'm not watching those again. She's like, I just can't do it. Oh, uh, wow. But yeah, it, it's entertaining. I mean, you know, you got your core core people back, and you know Wes Craven directing. Uh, you know, one of my favorite directors, and it just it does, the whole movie does it for me. It's even got Jay and Silent Bob. I mean, it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we we've got to talk about the cameos here in a minute because that's that is something. But um, Jackson, what did you think of the plot? Because you just first you first saw Scream Two just about a week ago, and so now you've now you've seen Scream Three. What did you think of the plot and the screenplay? I liked it. There were a few aspects that I felt uh, I was like, meh, on uh, the the new characters that are introduced that are playing the old characters, the actor types. Didn't really care about them at all. I got the sense that they were all slasher fodder. Uh, they were all kind. They all kind of existed to be killed off. And especially, I, I love Parker Posey. I think she's hilarious. But her as Scream One era Gale in this movie, you get the you get the sense that you're just waiting for her to get killed off because she's so prissy and and uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And especially the 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 one that was asking for it the most, I feel like, is the guy that played Dewey. Because he goes back into the house to read the rest of the script. <laughs> it, they're just, they're so, it, it kind of falls into the same trappings that they were parodying. They're parodying slashers, and then they have the characters do the exact same things, but without it being self-aware. They were just, like, actually doing it. But I wasn't complaining because 
they get killed, which is what I was looking forward to. But um, yeah, I like where we pick up with uh, with Sydney and Dewey and Gale. I like that we saw in the first movie Sydney is a high schooler, and then the second movie she's college age, even though it took place less than it was filmed less than one year after the first one. And then uh, in this one, she's a young adult. Uh, she's self. She's independent. She's working on her own. And uh, I liked that evolution of her character. Mm-hmm. Dewey had my favorite uh, arc, whereas now he's kind of a little bit more confident and cocky that he's living in Hollywood. And I loved seeing him kind of shoot down Gail when she first uh, tries it, because usually he's all charmed by her and uh, and she can work his magic. But this time he wasn't having it. He was in the position of power and she wasn't, which is I, I just loved it. Again, the script uh, in this one is strong. I don't think it's as strong as the first Scream movie. I know that Kevin Williamson right. wrote an outline for this, but it was rewritten. well, yeah, the screenwriter actually ignored the outline. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that would have been better. I I think that would have been better if they would have gone with the original intention for it. Um, Because I do think the plot is a little meandering. That said, I still think the dialogue is just as fun as ever. Uh, I really like the interactions between Sydney and the cop. Uh, What was his name? It was like the guy from Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, it's it's quote unquote McDreamy. Yeah, from Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. I like their in their interactions. I thought their the dialogue was still good in certain places. I like Roman too. He's a Quentin Tarantino type, but um, yeah, it, it, script is still good. Not as clever maybe as the previous two, but it it has some good it has some good points. Yeah, I, I, we'll get to McDreamy in a in a moment. I I had a problem with him being in this only because my wife started to drool when he came on screen. But anyway, <laughs> um, the, so. The first, you know, scene of Scream movies have become almost important as the reveal, that first opening mm-hmm. scene and kill. So, you know, in the first one, we get Drew Barrymore and her boyfriend. In the second one, we've got Jada Pinkett uh, Smith and uh, Omar Epps at the opening of Stab. Here we get Cotton uh, with his girlfriend being terrorized by Ghostface. Do you like it? Does it hold up to the other two? Haddonfield, what do you think of the opening scene? I, I actually like the opening scene. Um, I like the opening scene of this one more than I did uh, with Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith uh, hmm. from Scream 2. Uh, I would probably say this. I like this movie in general more than I did Scream 2. Uh, hmm. It's close, but, uh, you know, Cotton... You know, just being cotton, all cocky, right. trying to make that money. And then it's like, oh, I've got a girlfriend, but hey, there's this girl on the phone right. that's talking all flashy to me, wanting 110% cotton. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and then whenever all of a sudden it switches and changes to Ghostface voice, then you know it's getting ready to get real. And, you know, obviously Ghostface has got him tricked. And then, uh, Cotton's girlfriend is tricked because she wants to beat him to death with a golf club. Right. So. Right. Right. Jackson, what about you? You know, I gotta agree with HH on this one. I think the opening to this movie was better than the Scream Two opening. Uh, I thought it was more suspenseful. 
And also, I've also got to agree that I like Scream 3 on the whole better than Scream 2, I think, after watching this. Wow. And I'll let you know why. The tone of the second movie is the mo- most painfully 90s thing I've ever seen in my life. Everybody's got dyed hair and leather jackets. I think this one has a more... First of all, it's, it's, it's less meta, but also I feel like it's just more... It's, it's easier to watch. It hasn't aged as well. Uh, except for Gail's hair. Gail's hair is is awful. Oh, but that's it's, so it's a word. I can't believe people thought that was cool. But yeah, I love the opening scene with Cotton. Uh, he's great. We we talked about him on the last. Day. He's just charming and fun to watch. Um, I really want to see more 100% Cotton. I want to see if somebody could make some maybe cast leave. <laughs> just just get him to make some a web series for 100% Cotton. I would actually watch that. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really fun. The scene in the car with him getting the call from Ghostface, um, and that first hint that maybe Ghostface is changing his voice. That was, that was cool. Um, and I also really liked, uh, the part where I don't like the voice modulator. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that as a plot device. I think it's lazy. I think it's a way to increase suspense without having to do a lot of the work that the previous two did. However, the way it's used in that opening scene, I think is, is genius when he's outside the door and it sounds, it really does sound like cotton until he's like, I want to rip your insides out. And then he stabs through the door. Oh man, it's awesome. And we know it's not cotton, but she doesn't. So you got to place yourself in your, in her shoes. Yeah, it really, it feels almost, it's almost like the car scene from scream Two, where the crawling past ghost face. It's very suspenseful because you know what's going on, but she doesn't. And you're afraid of what she'll do. And you're afraid of what ghost face will do to the both of them. And then the way it ends up, it was just, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I like it. Um, I don't love it. I don't think it compares to Drew Barrymore scene in in Scream. No, I agree. I with I, that. I agree. It's debatable whether it's better or not than Scream Two, even though I really like that one. But let's put it this way: here's what the cast thought of the screenplay. According to the audio commentary, the producer said that uh, the cast kept leaving um, Scooby Doo dolls on Wes Craven's director's chair because they thought it was the most Scooby-Doo movie they'd ever made. I was actually just sitting here whenever Jackson was talking about it, about the the characters that are playing the real characters, how inept inept they were. I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, it's like you got the Scooby gang and then you've got like (laughs) the D team coming in. Yeah. You know, trying to solve the mystery, and you know, this is, I mean, that is pretty much the. And I've not listened to that commentary, and I couldn't tell you how long, and I actually forgot about that. But it is 100% Scooby esque at times, <laughs> which I don't think it's a bad thing. I love Scooby Doo. Oh, I well, do too. I, I love Scooby Doo too. Um, all right, so we Haddonfield brought up the cameos, we get. Of course, Wes Craven is in it. He's right behind Jay and Silent Bob taking the studio tour. Then, but we then also have Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Um, did did you find any of those distracting? Haddonfield, start with you, or did you like them? Um, the the cameos I didn't really. The one that is the most distracting that takes your mind away. It's like oh. We're going to get some dick and fart jokes from Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, to quote the great Kevin Smith, who yeah. I absolutely adore. Uh, yes. But, you know, it's Connie Chung, you know. It's like, come on. <laughs> it, you know, but, like, 
you know, Roger Corman, one of the studio executives. Yeah. Uh, and it just, I, I enjoyed them, but my, they all kind of flowed with the movie, except for the Jay and Silent Bob one. It kind of skewed it a little bit and then mm. brought it right back, of course. But uh, it, instantly I'm like, you know what? It's time to watch a little uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> uh, what about you, Jackson? What did you think? I like Jane Silent Bob, uh, but I, I'll say that their cameo was very distracting. It was, it was, it's like the movie took a pause and they're like, "Look at these other things that are popular right now." Mm-hmm. But with the Carrie Fisher one, it was really kind of meta and and a little distracting if you dwell on it that they're talking about Princess Leia, you know, with Carrie Fisher and everything. But I loved it so much because I, I miss Carrie Fisher. She she's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. She was good in this little role. I, I almost wanted her to be in the rest of it. I feel like she could, if she played a pivotal role, that would have been awesome. Would uh, it surprise I, you, Jackson, that she wrote her dialogue? I heard that. Yep, I, I read that. And it doesn't surprise me at all. Because you if you watch the, the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy, the behind-the-scenes stuff, she was always cracking wise with the, the cast. She's a very funny, she's a very funny lady. And, of course, rest in peace to her because she was awesome. And that was a yeah, huge she loss. Was. But, uh, yeah, that didn't take me out. That 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 cameo didn't take me out as much as the James Silent Bob one, but even though it was a little bit more meta, probably. Um, but uh, another, this isn't a cameo, but it's kind of a small role, and that's Lance Henriksen. Yes. Uh, who is probably my favorite character actor of all time. He's in so many great movies, but for some reason people don't remember him today. Nobody talks about Lance Henriksen, even though he's in all of their favorite movies. Except for uh, except for we hardcore horror fans. We know who the exactly. man is from, from Omen 2 and, and uh, The Visitor and Piranha 2 and The Terminator and Aliens. And aliens, and yeah. That's what it's head and on and, and on. Um, but, yeah, what was that? Was he in Near Dark? He was in Near Dark. He he there was in a Hell he was in a Hellraiser movie. Yeah, he's yeah Lance yeah. Henderson. He was in he was in Stuart Gordon's Pit and the Pendulum. But mm-hmm. um, he did all those things. And yeah, I want to let's just go ahead and jump into it since we're talking about the plot because there is a theory. Now Wes Craven did not acknowledge this at the time, and of course, unfortunately, Wes Craven has passed um, from brain cancer. Um, R.I.P. But uh, there is a theory. So Lance Hendrickson, Hendrickson's character, um, he is a guy who makes, you know, horror films. He is a producer, right? Mm-hmm. He is John Milton, by the way. Um, there is a theory that he is actually Bob Weinstein. Or yeah. a combination of Harvey and Bob Weinstein, especially when we get to his backstory with Sydney's uh, mom, that they're uh, commenting on that. And given what we know about the Weinsteins, we now know Bob Weinstein's never been, you know, accused of sexual assault. He has been accused of knowing about it and just not caring. Um, and he really ran Dimension. Harvey was more, you know, concerned with Miramax and the art house films. But do you think this was a commentary on the Weinsteins? Haddonfield, what do you think? I mean, if you think, I mean, if you say, like, I would have never brought, thought that, uh, mm-hmm. especially at the time. 
you know, I'm kind of oblivious to the world until, you know, you've got some of the actresses and stuff like that coming forward and about the things that Harvey did. But when you go back and look at it, like now, you could kind of see and be like, you know, might be throwing a little shade on the Weinsteins being like, you know, it's like, we know who you are. We know you're a bunch of jerks and you're eventually going to get caught. But. Well, and then you have all those, remember those lines from like all the different actresses in there, whether it's Jenny McCarthy or Emily Mortimer or Parker Posey or whatever, they're all talking about having slept with, you know, whoever to get the part. Yeah, exactly. And Parker Posey says that thing to Roman, I was the best you ever had. And Carrie Fisher makes that comment that, yeah, I look like her, but I'm not the one who slept with George Lucas. So it's like, oh, maybe they really were. Yeah. No one there. Yeah, it's it's like if you look at it now, especially since you brought it up and you think about it, it's like they're definitely throwing some shade on the wine scenes. That's for sure. Yeah. Jackson, what do you think? I got that impression. When I was watching it, I did get that impression that Lance Henriksen's character was supposed to be Harvey Weinstein. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, wasn't, I wasn't too, uh, too uh, distressed whenever I saw his throat get slit at the end. Uh, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, it, it, I definitely got that impression. And knowing Wes Craven, that he wasn't able to stand up to people, you know, he was too nice a guy, yeah. He was too nice a guy, but I feel like he was definitely taking a dig here any any way he could. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's kind of funny. Wow. Well, another plot element I want to bring up. Here's something that when I first saw the film, because I'll be honest with you, when I first saw this film in theaters, I was a little disappointed. I It's not that I didn't like it. It's just that I didn't love it as much as I loved Scream 1 and 2 at the time when I saw it. Um, I'll talk in a minute whether or not it's grown on me, but one of the things that bothered me, did Sydney's dreams about her mom when she's up in her hideaway cabin, did that feel like that belonged to you, Haddonfield? You know, when when I was rewatching it, and I was like, why is this dream sequence here? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because she almost, like her mom, almost looked like a zombie. Yeah, uh, you know, with like long, nasty fingernails, hair all disheveled. Uh, it's like it just—I don't—I kind of see where they were going with it mm-hmm. to kind of help boost her to get out of hiding and go, you know, back into like normalcy of trying to not die. Uh, but I just—I could have probably have done without the dreams of like her mom. Yeah. Uh, now, like when she was at the on the set in her home um you know and she kind of had like some of the visions like you know which was probably the props but uh, like of her mom being dead in the bed and blood everywhere that that fit but like the when she was uh, still in hiding and stuff i I don't i don't really think that that kind of meshed well with i mean i'd rather have seen more jane silent bob than like creepy mom (laughs) and like a crazy nightmare because it's almost like she's got some kind of psychic premonition, so we're throwing in a supernatural thing, which has never yeah. had it before. Exactly. And yet, that's one of the scenes when I rewatched today, I was like, that doesn't really fit for me. But Jackson, what do you think? Oh, I thought that was stupid. I, I thought that was really stupid. I, I was like, what is going on here? It's kind of like, it reminded me a little bit of Salem's Lot, the window scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that one scene where she's in the cabin, she sees her mom through that big window. 
I wonder if Craven was kind of t- was trying to reference Salem's Law. I don't know what's going on there. But, I, yeah, I think that was kind of stupid. If anything, I don't think it would be supernatural. I think it would be more hallucination from PTSD. But I still think there was a better way to portray that than having mo- zombie mom, sort of like a, in, in Friday the 13th, Part 7, zombie dad coming up through the dock. Zombie mom coming up through the window and turning into ghost face. That was a little, uh, that was a little stupid, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a small part of the movie. It, it's such a small part of the runtime that my mind was quickly distracted from that. But now looking back on it, that was pretty dumb. Yeah, it's the one part when I rewatched it, I thought, you know, we could have done without that. If you mm-hmm. want to focus on her, you know, kind of thinking about her mom a lot, there were enough pictures around, quick cuts where she could have picked up a picture and smiled or frowned. Right? You didn't need all that, I don't think. But um, so I've got a couple more plot points I want to bring up. But one of the ones I get criticized about not bringing up in, in Facebook and uh, Twitter messages. So I want to bring this up. The kills mm-hmm. um, in this movie. Uh, did they hold up for you? Do you think, you know, they're as good as one or two? And do you have a favorite? So Haddonfield, what did you think about the kills? Do you have a favorite? I thought I liked all the kills. My Probably the one that I liked the most was Cotton. Okay. Uh, because, like, in the first movie, I was like, I really wanted him to die. But yeah. I really enjoyed the character. <laughs> uh, I do wish the cameo had been a little more graphic, kind of like with mm-hmm. uh, in Scream 1. Um, with Drew Barrymore and, like, yep. guts hanging out and yep. Steve's guts, whatever, falling to the ground. Uh, you know, seeing Cotton take the knife to the head would have been really great instead of it cut into the, you know from the cameo to like the credits and stuff like that or the title sequence. Uh, but I, I enjoyed all of them. Uh, it just, they're, they're over the top. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's just, I, I don't know. I can't really explain it. It's, they just, all of them were very good to me. Like they give me exactly what I was wanting. Um, uh, could have been a little enough. bit more great. It could have been a little bit more graphic, yeah. Uh, to kind of go along with the first film. It almost seemed like they were kind of, you know, dumbed down a little bit. But And they were. You know, and yeah. the reason for that was the Weinsteins were nervous about gore post-Columbine. Yeah. And so they pushed Wes Craven to tone it down. So, Jackson, what about you? What would you think? Oh, yeah. With that in mind, I can understand. I, it is very tame, and I can understand why. Um but yeah, they're they're tame for the most part, uh, and we are a spoiler podcast, by the way. So if you haven't seen Scream mm-hmm. Three yet, t- tune off because my favorite kill is Roman. Uh, I yeah. love the part where he gets up and he's like, they they start shooting him, and he's like, "I can't die, you can't kill me," and then he gets shot in the head. That's my favorite. That's my favorite part. And and before that, leading <laughs> up to that, Sydney had stabbed him twice in the back of the neck, and then once in the chest. So that that looked really painful. Oh, and, then and it, just uh, sorry to interrupt you, but in the audio commentary, mm-hmm. um, he was wearing an actual vest. Yeah. Uh, Scott Foley, who played Roman, he was wearing an actual vest. Uh, Nev Campbell missed it. Ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> she actually stabbed him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Really? Fortunately, it didn't go deep. 
But okay. Wes Craven said, yeah, Scott Foley's got to hold his back to this day. That's so metal. Yeah. And I like, and I like Scott Foley. Like, I even like his TV shows that got canceled. Uh, and he's, he's just, been in a bunch. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, he he's just, he's a fun actor to watch. And he really gets into his roles. And Roman... I really wanted to punch Roman in the face, so I'm kind of glad he got shot in the head. Um, so, yeah, I I I agree. Um, my favorite kill was actually the bodyguard Patrick Warburton. Yeah, uh, I really liked that one because it came on so sudden and he was so cocky. And I, and I love Patrick uh, Warburton and everything, whether as Putty or whether he's Joe and Family Guy or whatever. But the tick. The tick, yes, the tick. But oh, I loved his his death. I thought that was um fantastic. It's actually I'm watching it right now. It's on behind me. Um and yeah, that that is that's great. I love Patrick Warburton. That's another small role we didn't mention, but he's yep. hilarious because he is he's that super cocky macho kind of guy. Um and I love his voice, by the way. But um and then the the yeah, you're right, it is so abrupt. He's like, that makes me angry and then he pops out and stabs him in the back and i thought that was awesome so yep. yeah that's a, that's a good kill not very graphic again but you do get to see him stumble out with the knife in his back kind of like dewey from the first movie so that was kind of cool and the west craven said in the commentary on opening night because they did not do any test screenings for this because they had so many leaks from scream 2 they were like nope we're not showing this to anybody and in fact they shot three different endings so the cast wouldn't know. And even then, with the three endings, none of the cast got the pages before they filmed it so that they wouldn't know because for security reasons. Um, they reference that in the movie, too, with yeah. the three scripts. So they were, they were a little meta there. Yeah, absolutely. But let's talk about we do have another character coming back unexpectedly. Um, Haddonfield, what did you think about Randy coming back? I was really bummed when Randy got killed in Scream oh, yeah. 2. Maybe that's why I don't like Scream 2. Because, like, I really like mm -hmm. Randy. He, I feel like Randy, like, if I'd have ever worked at Blockbuster, that's mm -hmm. what I would have been like. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think it's great to bring him back because I think he was, like, a fan favorite. Like, he was just, he was it. He was funny. He, you know, he was yep. the... He would be a pot. He would, if he was still alive in, in movie world, and podcasting was the a thing then. He would have been a host for a sure. Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, to see him come back on a video, even though his sister, like I, I hope Scream Five they bring back his sister. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be funny and hilarious, and maybe there would even be uh, another Randy video. I don't know. Maybe they could CGI him down. Back when I, he was young. I always wondered, though, watching it the first time, I thought, how did she get on the studio lot? Well, in the exactly. audio commentary, Wes Craven explains it, that they had in the script that she took the studio tour and jumped off the bus. Oh, that makes sense. But that the, it just it felt like too much of a scene. They were trying to keep it streamlined. So it's like, ah, most people won't care. And yeah. so that's where they went with it. But they did have an explanation for it. But Jackson, what did you think about Randy coming back? 
I loved it. I, I thought that was that was one of the highlights of the movie. Probably, honestly, my favorite segment of Randy's horror rules. You know that little that little thing that happens every screen oh, movie. Yeah. I like this one the most, uh, just because of how perfectly it's timed. It's way more comedic. I feel like, but I, I think that's a great format. The VHS. I want to just keep getting VHS uh, recordings of Randy from now until the end of time, because I'm sure he made a lot of them, <laughs> knowing that he was a movie buff. But um, I really, I also like how he's recording it and people are pounding on his door. And he's like, I'm trying to make my legacy here, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Absolutely. But the fact that he had the foresight to be like, if I don't survive this, these are the rules you need to know. He knew that they would be coming back to him for, for tips on, on how to survive. Uh, so I thought that was funny. And I, I, I wish they hadn't killed him off in the second movie. I agree with HH. That's definitely a problem that they killed him off in that second movie. I know why they did it. We talked about it last week. They did it to make you feel on edge that anybody could die at any time. But I feel like you could have chosen somebody different. I don't know. Maybe not, not, not Randy. Don't do that to me. Um, maybe Gail. Yeah. And that, maybe, yeah. And that would have spared us the haircut. Exactly. <laughs> she could have like, died nobly in, in screen two with that, that dyed haircut and not, we wouldn't have gotten the bangs atrocity <laughs> thing we got here. But, but yeah. And, and Randy, Randy would have been great in this movie. Um, you know, I was kind of half expecting from that Randy scene whenever he says, you know, anybody can die. Um, I was, and, and he singles out Sydney. I was expecting Sydney to die at the end of this one, but I knew she was in the later one. So I was like, how's this going to work? Uh, and yeah, then she gets I... shot. And I was like, oh, wow. So they're really going there. And then again, there's a twist, but I won't get into that. We're talking about Randy right now. It was great to see him back. And his sister does look remarkably like him. Are they related? No, no, they're not related. That uh, is a heck of a resemblance. And his rules, uh, two things on Randy, his rules for part three um, for uh, a horror movie that's number three. And I think they lifted this right from Friday 13th, part three. You two correct me if I'm wrong. Number one, the killer must be superhuman. Mere mm. stabbing or shooting will not be enough to kill the killer, which we see Friday 13th, part two to part three. We see Jason go from skinny hillbilly who does cardio to WWE Jason. Number two, <laughs> anyone can die, including the main character. And three, the past will come back to haunt someone which sounds like Friday 13th part 3, right? I could I could see that. Yeah, absolutely. So, those are the rules, but I think the most one of the most chilling scenes in the entire movie. Tell me if I'm wrong, Haddonfield, you go first where Randy's character says, and for some of you, I'll be seeing you soon. That was very creepy. Like Oh. Yeah, it's it's like a shot. It's like you know somebody major is going to die, uh, but when you look at it, it's like the the main three still live. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have much rather if Gail got killed and like Randy be one of the survivors. But, yeah, if yeah, Randy, he just if Randy you know, been been the director of Stab two or three or whatever, and yeah, that would have been um, Jackson. What did you think about? you know, that, that line that I'll be seeing you soon. I did like that line. Yeah. But, but nobody in that trailer died. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it wasn't really, it kind of loses its impact a little bit, but uh, yeah, I, I, I still like it. I, I think Randy's just entertaining to watch and he's a great comedian. So he was, he was, I don't think he was being serious. So <laughs> the, the line still works. Um, 
But yeah, I, I I like that scene overall. It's great to see Jamie Kennedy back in the and I, I feel like there was even a way they could have possibly worked in Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich, uh, like in the scenes where Roman is talking about um, manipulating Billy to kill Maureen. I feel like we could have gotten a, like a not a like maybe a flashback with new footage shot, like filling in the gaps. That would have been cool, a cool way to work in Skeet Ulrich and and, um, and Matthew Lillard. But I'm glad we at least got Randy. Yeah. So, you know, moving on to the cast and the characters, which we've talked a little bit about. I mean, Haddonfield, you brought up Scott Foley. We've talked about Patrick Warburton. I don't want to talk about McDreamy anymore because my wife's sitting right here. Mm -hmm. I don't want her to start drooling again. But anyway, um, the the new cast, Parker Posey, Emily Mortimer, uh, Jenny McCarthy. Um, you know, and, and we've talked about Lance Hendrickson, but the new cast, did you connect with them in the way you connected to the cast of Scream 1 and 2? Did you think they were good, bad? What's your overall thoughts of the new cast, Haddonfield? Pretty much, like, the only one that I really enjoyed was Parker Posey. The mm-hmm. other ones got on my absolute nerves, mm. like uh, Sarah Darling. It's like, yeah, just, just stop talking and die. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the that cat that played Dewey that thought he was all great and everything. Yeah, and he just die. Uh, I just I wasn't like a fan. I I couldn't connect with them, but I think out of all of them, even the. Um, Parker Posey was the one that stuck out because she, I feel like she was, the emphasis was more on her and Gail as like a dynamic duo uh, at times. And, and she was funny. She was overly dramatic. You know, I've not smoked one of these and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm, you know, uh, she just, she was overly dramatic and I enjoyed it. Uh, but she's probably the only one that I was glad that they, you know, as far as the new characters, but the rest of them, I'm just like, you know, they're just fodder to yeah. for Ghostface to like kill them and gut them. Yeah, Jackson, what about you? Uh, they were pretty much all boring except for Parker Posey. I mean, I I like her and other, but she's way better in stuff like Best in Show because she's given better material. But she she can be really funny. In this, she had a few funny lines. You you did touch on one. Uh, I I I like that part where she's smoking the cigarette and she's like, I haven't had one of these in a in a year and a half. Somebody's gonna pay for this. But yeah, I I did like she she had her moments and I did like her interactions with Gail. Um, but. For the most part, they were just kill fodder, like I said earlier. And I'm not complaining either, because they were fun to watch. It was fun to watch them die. And it, this had the biggest body count, if I'm not mistaken, of the Scream franchise so far. I so, think it's but, actually tied with Scream 2. I think they both had 10. I think. Really? I think it so. It seemed like there were more disposable characters in this. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. There are more characters designed to just die. <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, I, I don't know. There, there were. I, I liked watching them die, so I, I think they were successful at what they were supposed to do because that, that was their character. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about because uh, we've talked about the new characters. I agree with Haddonfield. I liked Scott Foley as Roman. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Jackson, and I agree with Haddonfield. I enjoyed 
Parker Posey, but at the same time, it's like, oh, you know she's going to die. One of the mistakes they made in that, according to Wes Craven, is that you can misunderstand what happened to her and look as though Dewey shot her when, in fact, she had just been stabbed and Dewey was shooting the mirror. And Wes Craven lamented that he didn't make that as clear as he should have. Um, All that being said, let's talk about the reveal and something that's connected to it. The reveal, which, as we know, um, as we said earlier, nobody knew who the killer was going to be ultimately. So we get Roman as the brother, and we also get for the first time in a Scream movie, one killer, not two. Haddonfield, what'd you think of the reveal? I didn't even see it coming, uh, but then, you know, towards the end, you kind of get like hints and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Whenever they threw the reveal out that he was the killer and then like he was like her half brother. Is that was that what it was? He yeah. Was the Sydney. yeah. Like yeah. Sydney's half brother. It was like, OK, really didn't see that coming. Uh, but it, I was actually shocked because Roman looked like the least. Uh, he certainly looked the least threatening, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's like I actually thought John Milton might have been yeah. the killer. Was it, is it John Milton? Yeah, John Milton. Okay. Yeah, Lance Henriksen, yeah. And, and, you know, I was just thinking that he might have been the killer. You know, and a lot of, when I watch films like this, it's like, okay, who's it going to be? A lot mm-hmm. of times, like, Meg can watch them. She's like, oh, I can figure it out. I've watched a ton of Lifetime movies. This is who the killer is going to be. Uh, <laughs> And she's usually right, but it was, it was, it was very shocking because he just, like you said, he was not like the most threatening character. Uh, You know, John Milton seemed like, you know, and that could have been like a good way to kind of like steer viewers away and think that it's like, oh, he's, he's just a loser director who's just trying to get a movie made. Uh, But then he, then there at the end, he was vicious. Like he would not stay down and then, you know took a good shot to the face. Yeah. Yes, it did. And give him credit. It's in one of the few slasher movies that I've seen where he just rushes into a group of people and cold cocks somebody, uh, which I didn't expect that when he cold cocks Dewey, when the three of them are standing there together. So I'll give him credit for that. Um, Jackson, what did you think of the reveal? Much like uh, what's his name, Mickey from the from the from Scream yep. Two. I feel like it wasn't set up well enough, but when the reveal happens and you have them in villainous mode, they do a good job. Uh, I don't. I I feel like that that's often the way it is, except for Scream One, where it was pretty much broadcasted who was going to be the killer. With Scream Two and Scream Three, the killer is like, oh, okay, I, I guess it makes sense that they're the killer. But now that they are the killer, and we know that. They're doing a good job at being threatening. And I felt that way with Roman. I actually sympathized with Roman a little bit in some parts in the early in the movie. I was like, oh, he's just trying to make, get a movie done. I, I understand his pain, and, and he seems kind of nice and unassuming. But then when he goes into full villainous mode, you're like, oh, this guy's awful. We should kill him. <laughs> um, so that, that was fun. And I, I think he was. He got really scary, and he kind of looked 
physically menacing. It's like his whole uh, his stature changed, like when his when his personality changed, with which I thought was really interesting. But um, yeah, I, I think he's a good killer. I like that there's only one killer that kind of subverts your expectations that there's going to be an accomplice. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, I do like the reveal. I didn't think the red herrings in this movie were as good. Uh, you have the one lady who played Sydney in Stab 3. She's mm-hmm. kind of set up to be a red herring. She has the ghost face mask uh, and a black a black dress right. in, in the bathroom stall. But, and you've got Mick Dreamy, who's got the file on right. Sydney. And, yeah. But you were pretty sure it wasn't going to be them. It was going to be somebody else. I was, I was, I was thinking it was going to be Lance Henriksen. Uh, I'm I'm glad they didn't. I feel like that would have been uh, dramatizing it a little bit. I, I feel like that would have been glorifying him maybe a little bit too much. He's just a scumbag. He's not a gen- He's not an evil genius. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like Roman as a killer. Again, not set up that well. You you couldn't. I don't think it would be it would be any small task to guess the killer beforehand because there's a voice modulator thing. He can be anybody, and his height is kind of hard to pin down. So, uh, but but again, once it's revealed, good, it's good. Yeah, uh, I um, I was okay with it. You know, um, I thought it was a bit of a stretch, but I can't complain because you know I love the original Friday the Thirteenth, and that's a real cheat because we never meet Mrs. Voorhees. Right, you know, before the reveal, so that's a horrible cheat. So that's okay, but so I was okay with it. Um, I have to ask because we ask this every time, even though I know what the answer to this question is. Uh, the technical aspects here from Wes Craven, the direction, the editing, all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure that both of you guys are going to say it was excellent. Am I wrong, Haddonfield? Oh, absolutely not. He he was he was on point. He was classic Wes Craven. Uh, just the way everything was done was just phenomenal as far as the way it was shot. Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, he's just he was de- he's definitely a master of his craft. That's for sure. Yeah, and again, working with a script that was constantly being rewritten. Why he was shooting it which is you know to his credit because that's not easy to do so jackson i'm pretty sure i know what your answer is going to be too yeah it's a, it's the same it's it's always good the worst Wes craven movies are competent you know what i mean they, there's never a time when you're like Wes oh, Craven, yeah. what were you doing buddy um i even thought this va- one was- even vampire in brooklyn which i think is a piece of garbage is still well shot mm-hmm yeah, I, I didn't think this one was as mind-blowing as the first two movies, technically. I mean, there's nothing in this movie, technically, that the other ones hadn't done already. So there was nothing where I was like, wow, that shot, I gotta rewind to see that shot. But it's also never distracting, and it does immerse you in the story. So for that, I gotta give it props. Um, Wes Craven, he's got a knack for, for finding talented people, especially with set design and costuming. Hair design, I'm not really sure what he was doing on this one, who we got to do that job. <laughs> again, they should probably never work in Hollywood again. Maybe they've learned from their mistakes, but but who knows. But yeah, he, he's really good at putting together a crew, and uh, this movie is no different. And he had basically the same crew from Scream 2 and, and Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, he liked working with the same same people. And Also, I always do this, uh, Haddonfield, I don't know how big you are on this, but uh, Jackson, the score by Marco Beltrami. What'd you think? 
I, I thought it was good. Uh, yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was what you would want for a screen film. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know if it's available for like download or whatever, but it, like I think screen. it is. I'm pretty sure. I may. Are, yeah. I may. Uh, hmm. I've been on a horror movie uh, score kick lately. Oh, so uh, you're a fan. You're a fan of soundtracks as well. Yes. Like I've started listening to the Friday the Thirteenth soundtrack today while I was at work. Oh uh, yeah. While I was typing up some stuff uh, yesterday, I did Halloween two, the expand. I think the extended edition or deluxe oh, edition. Oh, nice. Uh, so. Oh, that's nice. My wife decided to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's like, Siri, stop. Okay, okay, she's not doing it now. That's good. Uh, but, yeah, like I, I really enjoy listening to scores, especially from horror movies that I enjoy. Uh, nice. Because I feel like it gives you that intensity. Like certain certain tracks, you know, like the beginning when you got the, with Cotton uh, and, you know, the climax ending. You know, it just it, it, you get that same intensity just listening to the sound or the score and soundtrack yep. than you do when you watch the film. Yeah. And as, as I'm sure, you know, because you and Greg Amortis know all things Halloween. The first time John Carpenter showed his the rough cut of his film, everybody thought it was boring until he put the music in it. Yeah, he, he dropped that music in it and then it became a completely different film with a chilling effect. Yeah, and Psycho's the same way, and we could go on and on and on. So, Jackson, you're the musician. What did you think about it? I, I love the Scream soundtracks. Uh, I don't think they have that one iconic song that you can identify with Ghostface the same way you can with uh, Michael Myers. I mean, the same is true of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, what does the, the Leatherface theme sound like? You know what I mean? Right. But you can do that with, with Jason. You can do that with um, with Michael Myers. There is one track that's on all of these soundtracks from the first three movies, and it's Trouble in Woodsboro. And I love that track. That's the one I was talking about that had the Nutcracker cue in it. But yep. I, I do I do really like that. It's got an industrial sound to it, but it's also got orchestral uh, elements. Uh, I don't think, again, it's just like what I said with the cinematography. It's not as groundbreaking as the other two because it's pretty much the same. It's the same kind of music cues. But when it's good, it's good. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the music choices, uh, the like the tracks they decided to throw in here. Not uh, a Creed fan, are you? Not a Creed fan. <laughs> there were they were Creed Creed uh, during the end credits, and I was like, oh boy! And there's a Creed poster in Sydney's prop room, which I'm pretty yeah. sure she would not have had in the first movie because I don't think Sydney would would have been a fan of Creed, but or at least I would hope not. But, uh, yeah, I also, listen, I'm going to be honest. I'm starting to get tired of Red Right Hand. It's, they used it oh, twice. Oh, no, I love that song. They used it t twice in this movie in two separate occasions, and it was in the two previous movies. I'm kind of getting tired of it. Like, I'm watching these back to back. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it, Red Right Hand. Ha <laughs> ha. But, but again, I mean, it, it, it's fine. It works. Nothing bad. It's all competent. Wes Craven knows how to put together a crew, and that's all I'll say on the matter. I love Red Right Hand. Well, all right. A couple, just a couple more things before we wrap up. First of all, did either of you recognize when they go to John Milton's house in the climax, did either of you recognize that house? That house is the one that portrayed the school from Halloween H2O. Yes, sir. You are correct. Really? Yes, that is where they shot Halloween H2O. Yep. I can see it. 
I can see it. I wasn't thinking about that, but it makes sense from a time perspective. And yeah, it definitely all that wood paneling. Yeah, you can definitely I can definitely see that now. It um, is owned by a woman. She lives in only two rooms in it. She rents the rest out for TV and movie shoots. That's it insane. was I know it was originally a um, Catholic home for unwed mothers in the early 20th century. It became dilapidated. She refurbished it, decided to rent it out for shoots. And so, yeah, Halloween H2O was shot there as well as Scream 3. And, you know, those secret passages, those are actually in the house. Those exist. That's nice. I know. Wouldn't you love to live in a place like that? I'd love to go visit that place. Oh, absolutely. I would, too. And it's not its not too far from downtown L.A. I think they said it's in Silver Lake, so that's like 45-minute drive from downtown L.A., so it's not far. Um, and since she rents it out, I'm sure it's probably open for visits. So if you ever get to I'll L.A., man, there you go. Um, all right. So, gentlemen, what else do we want to talk about? Any other notes you guys have? Haddonfield, anything else you want to talk about with Scream 3? Um, I just do want to say one thing about McDreamy. Yeah. Oh. He, Good. My wife he, can't hear you. Go ahead. He was a forced character. Yes. I mean, he did He did get hired the day before shooting. Yes. But I felt like he was a, a forced character. Now, like his partner... You know, the bumbling sidekick cop right. who's just a jerk and yep. full of sass. Uh, I could deal with that. But I felt like McDreamy was a uh, was definitely forced. And the relationship between him and Sydney, you know, you would kind of think that he was the killer. Because he started being like, hey, it's Sydney. Let's see what she's got. But, you know, I could have done it without him. I mean, it's like, just give me... You know, bring in Deputy Doofus from like Scary Movie or, yep. or Doofy. Yeah, I I completely agree. If for no other reason, I can watch Scream Three without my wife drooling on the floor. So, um, Jackson, what other thoughts do you have, buddy? Let me just chip in here and say, okay, he's 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 contrived. He's he's a plot character. But he wasn't that bad in this movie. I get that he's... Oh, he doesn't give a bad performance. I'm not saying no. he gives a bad performance, but I agree with Haddonfield that his character is obviously kind of wedged in. Right. Yeah, and I kind of like the idea of the red herring, that somebody working on the inside on this case could have requested the case just so that he could get closer to the victims. That's and, and he seems a little insistent to want to talk to Sydney. I think it could have been executed better if the script was better and if Kevin Williamson had maybe worked on it. But um, but yeah, I didn't mind him. He is one of those like, oh, just look at how pretty he is. Now you can get your girlfriends to come to this movie. Yeah, but yeah, exactly uh, and I've, right. I've never seen him in anything else that I liked. I really hate Grey's <laughs> Anatomy from what I've seen. It's like the same episode over and over and over again. It's it, I watched one episode. I was like, oh, this isn't bad. I, I prefer House, but this is okay. <laughs> it's, and an then, 80s, it's an 80s daytime soap opera exactly. put into a hospital in the 2000s. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't I, I don't mind him in here. This is probably his best performance I've seen. That's for sure. But um, another thing, and this is my last thing that I want to say about Scream 3. Sydney's dad is back. Her original dad is back for this movie. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. It's just tying it back to the first one, reminding yep. us of, of the first one. What I don't remember him being in the in the second movie, aside from he maybe was a not. Uh, he was so not. Yeah. 
it was nice seeing him back. That kind of made me feel like I was in Scream again. I was like, oh, okay, because it kind of mimics that first scene, what we see with Sydney and her dad. Yeah. Billy's in a room, and I was thinking about that. I was like, man, we've been on a crazy ride these past one and a half weeks for me. <laughs> I've seen three Scream movies in one and a half weeks, and I've it feels like a journey. But, um, yeah, I thought that was fun. Glad to I see did, that. I did think it was weird that, one, Wes Craven said they put him in as a red herring. He didn't feel like a red herring. And the second thing was he brings her groceries and he brings her like squash. What 21 year old woman is going, dad, be sure to bring me some squash. You know, (laughs) I didn't think about it. I wasn't paying attention to it. It took me a second to realize who he was. I was like, who is this guy? Is this some, some cop? And then I remembered because he's not in the first movie for very much. He's in that first scene where he's trying to get into her bedroom and Billy's hiding in there. And he's also at the end with the tape over his mouth. But it, I, it took me a second. But then when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's nice. I mean, yeah, I didn't think about the squash. That's, that's stupid. What were the, the set designer thinking on that I one? I have like, no idea. Yeah, just hand Sydney a squash. That'll seem, that's a very 2000 thing to do, right? She's, she's supposed to be 21 years old. It should be like beer, chips, and frozen pizza, right? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, all right. Let's go <clears throat> to our ratings and recommendations, guys, on a scale one to 10. You know, avoid, stream, rent, buy. Where do we come down on this? Haddonfield, where are you at? Oh, it's a total purchase. I think uh, all four of them are a purchase, especially Blu-ray sets uh, for special features and everything. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, uh, this one, I, like I said, I rated it, I think, an eight on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, it, it holds up. Uh, at times, when you watch the original screen, and Scream 2, they kind of can feel a little dated. Yeah. But, you know, I lived in that time, you know. So it's like, ah, I remember those. I remember yeah. those jeans, the way they were cut. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, they all, all, all three of the, you know, the first three, they definitely hold up. Uh, this one, I, I enjoy it more than I do the second one. Um, even though I would probably rate them really close to the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're definitely, it's a definite purchase and purchase the entire set, uh, even including the television series. So, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up television series. I forgot about that. I really liked season one of the television series. So season one and two are really good. Season three mm-hmm. is a kind of a letdown. Uh, but I kind of get what they were going for, but I loved season one. I liked season two. I never even saw season three from what I heard. Yeah, season three is like six episodes, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really, it, it goes back to Ghostface. It kind of brings everything full circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, I don't know. They dropped the ball with season three. And uh, gotcha. you know, even season two, I mean, they there was so much opportunity to bring Ghostface to the small screen yeah uh, and you know being on like mtv and vh1 it's probably not the channels you want to do it with no it should have been a netflix i yeah. think uh, uh, netflix. Le- netflix or like maybe like uh cbs all access uh, right you know because you can get a little bit more risky yeah and, you know with language and violence so yep. but, absolutely but yeah i I'm a firm believer, uh, you know, the the entire set series of films, even four. I enjoy part four, but so that's neither here nor there for tonight. But uh, definitely purchase them. 
All right, Jackson, what about you, buddy? I'm coming in at an 8.5 out of 10. I'm going that wow. high. Um, I like this. Uh, that's impressive. Li- I like this a little bit more than Scream 2. I did like Scream 2. I, th- I gave that the same rating. But I think this is just a little bit. I, I like both of them. But but this one on this first viewing impressed me more. Um, so 8.5 out of 10. I now own it thanks to my awesome dad. Yeah. I own it on Blu-ray. And it does have all the commentaries on it. It has the special features. It has a making of little uh, mini documentary. Um, so I got I to gotta dig into that. But yeah, I think it's I think it's worth owning, especially if you're gonna watch them often, like I like I will. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I recommend it. Yeah, I'm coming down a little bit lower than you guys, but not much. Um, you know, I gave Scream One a ten out of ten. I gave Scream Two a nine out of ten. I'm coming here at a seven point five. It was between a seven point five and eight. Like I said, when I first saw it, I was disappointed. I thought it was just okay. I have warmed up. To it over the years um, there are parts of it that I think are just amazing um, so right now I'm coming in at a 7.5 but I could definitely see going up to an 8 you know over you know another view or so forth so yeah I and I definitely recommend it I, I call it a buy I own it so and I, I I'm with you Haddonfield buy them all <clears throat> just go ahead and buy them oh, all absolutely. and just uh, if you're a collector just get all of them so Folks, we have a Patreon page, so for as little as $2.50 a month, you can help pick content, listen to bonus episodes, and be on the show if you wish. So you can go over to patreon.com and look for Father and Son Watch Horror. You can also find more from us over at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com and on our Twitter page at at fathersonhorror. And we're on Instagram. We have a closed Facebook page. So Haddonfield Hatchet, where can they find you online, buddy? Uh... I usually do a lot of the Twitter for Land of the Creeps at mm-hmm. Land of the, at Land of the Creeps. Uh, I throw down some hashtag LOTC occasionally, and then uh, at Super Davis seventy eight on Twitter. Uh, DMs, you know, questions, films, talk about anything you want. Um, I do want to say that the Scream series, uh, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, but Wes Craven and the Scream yep. series is a master class of filmmaking agreed for new for new generation agreed and that's why i think you should get the commentaries because i learned more from watching commentaries than i did in taking film classes yes absolutely i can i would sit and watch a film with the commentaries just for the knowledge that i mean you know it, yep. they just it don't matter what film it is really the knowledge that gets dropped on some of the commentaries are absolutely amazing. Yeah, even when they're so like, oh, this was a mistake. I should have done this. That's exactly. valuable. Yeah, it's absolutely invaluable. So, absolutely. So, yeah, everybody follow, you know, um, Haddonfield's on Twitter. He's on, you know, he's on the socials. But, yeah, Land of the Creeps, you got to go there because Jackson and I have committed this. We have lobbied Darcy. We have lobbied Joe Bob. We want to get Land of the Creeps, the Silver Bolo Award. This that would be a, absolutely be amazing. Uh, that would definitely make Greg's day. It would make all of our, you know, uh, which I'm not on there as much as I used to be, but you know, the amount of effort and everything that we put in and the guys put in now, uh, definitely. I mean, uh, and I love Joe Bob and Darcy. So, 
Absolutely. We're going to do everything we can to get to that award, buddy. It was Jackson who brought it up first. Darcy said, well, who who ne- needs to get the next silver bolo? And Jackson was one of the first people to reply and say, obviously, Land of the Creeps. And I jumped in. And so Absolutely. we've committed to that. So we we hope to get it for you guys because you guys deserve it. So we appreciate j- that. And thank you guys for all your support and uh, helping promote the podcast. Absolutely. It's an awesome podcast. So, Jackson, where can they find you online, buddy? Yeah, I just got to say, we've all got to tune in to Joe Bob's Halloween special tomorrow yeah. and lobby. We got to show our support for Land of the Creeps. Come out in numbers and, and show how, how powerful the Land of the Creeps uh, podcast fans are. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Anyways, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Kane underscore Hero 12. I'm on Letterboxd, too, at Kane Hero. That's one word and uh youtube you can also check out father and so much horror movies on youtube i've got a, a video out on mario bava movies so if uh, italian horror is more your thing then you can check that out but uh yeah thank you guys so much one of the best horror communities ever po- or communities to be on on the internet is the horror podcasting community you guys are awesome always on twitter yep. with great film recommendations and on letterbox and stuff it's just it's it's the best absolutely absolutely so I can be found on Twitter as Pastor Matt R. Um, So thanks again to Haddonfield Hatchet. We always love having him on. Tune back in next time for Scream 4 with Patreon supporter and roller derby warrior Amy Swan. Right, buddy? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. That's what I've been looking forward to all series because she's always awesome to have on. We've had so many great guests. Yep. She is a wife at her, her own Twitter page says that under Shaka Swan, that she is a uh, mother, wife and uh, weightlifter and roller derby warrior. Not right. a person you want to mess with right there. So that is one full resume. <laughs> that is exactly right. So. All right. Until then, say goodbye to the good people, Jackson. Goodbye. And remember to stay 100 percent cotton. Oh, gosh. Thanks for listening. And remember that the family that watches forward together slays together. See you next time.